Have you ever felt like you were around friends who were a bad influence? Maybe at school or at church. You can tell me after, Matthew. Um, thanks for raising your hand. Um, that being around these friends made you think bad thoughts or you did bad things or you said bad words or you just knew that you were breaking some sort of conscience in your heart. Do you have friends who are a bad influence? Who influence you in a negative way? Because as we think about what it means to live as a Christian, the people we surround ourselves with actually really matter. And the hard thing is we care about our friends. That's probably one thing we don't want to give up, at least um, the ones that we really care about. Um, and we show the picture on the next slide. This is me in high school. Um, these were my friends my sophomore year. And I really liked my friends at school and at church. Um, and they loved me. We grew up at the same K-8 through Christian school. And we liked to have fun. Um, but some of you guys may not have liked my friends and I, um, if you guys saw us. <laughs> at least we were very annoying. Like, if you saw us at the mall, um, we might say something random to a stranger. Like, hey, hi, I like your shirt. Something like that. You know, those types of people that just, like, talk to you randomly. Uh, maybe some of you guys are like that. Um, and I think for my friends... Rules and laws were just uh, suggestions to us. I think we knew what right and wrong were, but we didn't really care to do what was right and to avoid what was wrong. Uh, I don't want to share everything um, that we did, but I remember as I was thinking about, what did we do in high school? Um, what was something like, that was just very like, oh, why did I do that? Um, but I remember I was walking with my friends at night in a neighborhood, um, and we saw a house that was remodeling. It was under construction, so um, the walls were torn down. And it was just like a clear... Um, plastic wrapping just to protect the house and we just thought it'd be fun just to walk around in the house and the thought of trespassing onto another person's property the thought of doing something illegal well at least in my mind I felt very like this is really wrong but my friends were like oh this is like so fun let's just go in and so we just walked in and we walked around the house and it was thrilling but it was also I felt like I was gonna get in trouble any single moment Uh, what happened was a car passed by um, and they started yelling at us, like, hey, who are you? Like, this is our house. Um, so it was the owners of the house, because when the house is under remodeling, the owners will probably circle around just to make sure their house is good. Um, so they yelled at us. Um, we ran away. And later on, we had, I think we saw some cop cars like in front of the house from a distance. And that was a very common thing for my friends and I, to do things that were just like, this is really wrong. Why are we doing this? At least in my mind, that's what I thought. And I think I can clearly say, I love my friends, but I feel like I'm becoming a worse person because of them. And I had to make a very difficult decision later in high school, and I'll share about that later in my sermon. But I want to ask you, what kind of people do you surround yourself with? What are your friends like? If you were to invite me to hang out with you and your friends, I would never do that. But what would I see? What kind of language would you use? What kind of uh, YouTube videos would you watch? What would you talk about in your conversations? What things would you do for fun? Would it be something that you, would, you wouldn't care if anybody saw? Or would it be something that you'd be ashamed if I saw or if your friends saw from church? So the thing is about today's passage, God actually has something powerful and difficult for us to do with our friends who are a bad influence. The people we surround ourselves with. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Uh, the person who wrote 2 Timothy is Paul. Um, And he talks about the danger of bad people who oppose God and oppose his truth. And being around these people 
can seriously harm your faith. And actually, last time, if you guys were here, uh, Aaron talked about bad people, but he specified that in that context, they were false teachers. You guys remember that? False teachers who crept into the church to, um, uh, to poison the gospel, to say lies about it. And so today, you might not have a false teacher in your friend group. There might not be like a prosperity gospel preacher in your friend group, but we may have friends who oppose God. We may have friends who don't give a rip about Christianity. We might have friends who don't care about good and evil. In that sense, they are teaching and living what is false. And so my certain preview, I have two things for us to consider. We have the first and second points. There is a warning that as Christians, we must heed. That we must be prepared for something in this life. And number two, there is an action that if you actually want to live faithfully as a Christian, this is an action that you must take. If not, you must not be surprised if your faith uh, struggles, if your faith begins to crumble. All right, so um, if we go to the next slide, let's jump into the first one. A warning you must heed. Uh, have the next points. That the first point, so the first uh, point is that Christians must expect a difficult life. I don't know how you first came to faith, whether someone said, dude, being a Christian is going to be so great and so awesome. Um, that's true, but the Bible says it's going to get more difficult. It's going to get harder before it gets easier. It's going to be more painful before it gets more joyful. That if you expect this life to be smooth sailing, you're going to set yourself up for disappointment. The Christian life will be difficult. Second uh, Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 says, But understand this, that in the last days there will be times of difficulty. There's only one command in this verse. It's highlighted. The word understand, to know this. So imagine um, a captain uh, um, of a, an army gives last-minute instructions to his soldiers. Understand this. It will be difficult on the battlefield. That's the same urgency that Paul has because he's in prison. He's about to be executed. And he wants Timothy, his protege, to survive and thrive. And he says, understand this. It's going to get difficult. This is very important. I don't have much time left. My time on earth is coming to an end. Don't expect it to be easy in these last days. And that the last days, it just refers to that period of time between Jesus returning back to heaven and the period when he will descend back onto earth to rescue the redeemed. So right now, actually, 2022, these are the last days. It, we've been in the last days since, um, uh, since Jesus ascended back into heaven. So we must expect life to be difficult. So again, let me ask the question, what type of people do you surround yourself with? If you seek to love God on this earth, expect to run into people who hate God. If you're serious about your Christian faith, expect to encounter people who will question, despise, and maybe ridicule your Christian faith. The reason why times will be difficult is people. Isn't that true? Isn't that the source of our greatest pain and our greatest joys? Isn't it people? The people we allow to get close to us, we allow them to hurt us the most, but also to give us the most joy. And it's the same in these last days. People will be the source of difficulty. So let's go to the next slide and we'll see that Christians must expect a difficult life. Why? Because we live in a God-hating world with self-loving people. Let's have the next passage, which is there. It's a little small, so if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to read from that. But 
these are the types of people that we should expect in verses 2 to 5. Let me read that again. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. I'm not going to unpack every single adjective in here. I think you can kind of understand what they are. But do any of these adjectives describe the people you surround yourself with? Do you surround yourself with people who are arrogant, people who only care about themselves, people who um, slander other people and gossip about other people, Uh, people who have no self-control, they just live a reckless lifestyle? The one thing I want us to note, it's highlighted in yellow, ultimately these people, it's a matter of misplaced love. You will either love God or you will love yourself. The world will be a difficult place because it is full of people who love themselves. They're lovers of self, lovers of money, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God. So that's why this life will be difficult. And I think that's why I really didn't like high school very much, because I saw these types of people all the time. And maybe that's why you might not like your high school or your middle school, because people are just really annoying. People are just... You can't stand them. They think they're so amazing. They think they're so good, but they're actually just very arrogant. I hated these types of people. I hated the atmosphere of my high school, at least most of the students I encountered. And maybe you might have the same sort, uh, sense of feeling towards people at your high school. You can't wait to graduate because you get to leave that dump of a place that you call your high school. At least that was me. And so we have to expect that people will be difficult. So here's some questions I want us to consider. Let's go to the next slide. The first question I want us to think about is this. Are you prepared to live a difficult life for Jesus? Being a Christian is not just praying, God, I believe in you. I want to go to heaven. I don't want to go to hell. I'm good, right? That is not the Christian life. That is the heart of someone who just wants a comfortable life. And they love themselves. They don't really love God. So... Are you prepared to live a difficult life for Jesus? Second question I want to think about is, are you trying to live for Jesus while trying to fit into the world? That might be really difficult because some of us, we want to live and be good with Jesus, but we also want to fit in with our friends who might not be the best influence. Do you find yourself acting one way with Christians and acting another way with non-Christians? Do you live and act with, differently with church friends versus school friends? Are you comfortable talking in your small group, talking about the sermon about Jesus stuff, but at school, you, all of a sudden, you get very awkward about your faith? If this is you, and this was definitely me in high school, well, let me be honest. Could it be possible that you are hiding your faith, that you are embarrassed of your faith? You're embarrassed of Jesus, and you care more about what your friends think about you but not God. I'm not trying to be mean here, but I think it's just important for us to be honest. Where is your faith at? In Revelation, John writes that Jesus actually has no use for Christians who want to be in the world 
and in his church. Um, this is what Revelation 3, 15 and 17 says. Jesus is talking and condemning the church of Laodicea. He says, I know your deeds. You are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. This is Jesus talking to a church that cannot decide what it wants to be. Does it want to be for Jesus or in the world? I put a soggy bowl of cereal because, you know, like when you eat part of your cereal and you just put it in the sink and it just gathers, like the milk no longer is cold, it becomes warm. At the end of the day, it's just really gross. I think there's even a, a fine here. None of us would eat this. We would throw it out. It would be gross. And so it's making the concepts or the point that just as water, it is better if it's hot or cold just for milk. You either want like, you know, hot milk tea or like a cold milk. There is no use for lukewarm milk. The same it is for Christians. It doesn't work. There's no use for you if you try to fit in uh, with Jesus, but also fit in with the world. You're just going to end up disappointing both people. And so you just have to choose. Are you going to love Jesus with your life? If not, well, just fit in with the world. Don't try to call yourself a Christian if you're doing these things that contradict the Christian faith. So if we know that we're around people who are a bad influence, what are we to do? What do we do if we're around people who don't care about God and they love evil and the darkness? Paul does not mince words. In the next passage, we're going to see that Paul tells us to avoid and cut off our relationships with these people. And that's a very difficult thing to do, especially if we care about our friends. So let's go to the next point, and we'll dive into this a little bit more. That was uh, the first warning. Let's go to the next point. Uh, So an action you must take. We just talked about a warning you must heed, that Christians must expect a difficult life because we live in a God-hating world with self-loving people. And if you understand that, well, now there's an action you must take. And let's go into that for our final uh, part of our message, that we must um, avoid the God-hating and world-loving people in your life. And let's uh, have the next point. So 2 Timothy 3, 5, uh, the last part of verses 5 says, to avoid such people. Don't be around them. Yes, even if these people are your friends. You might be thinking, well, I thought Christianity said to love everybody. And now God's saying we have to avoid certain people? Uh, What do I do with that? Is the Bible actually serious about avoiding and cutting off um, friendships and relationships with certain people? You actually might be surprised there are many instances in the Bible where Christians are told to avoid certain types of people. Let's have the next point. We'll see this in 1 Corinthians 5.11. Paul's also writing to the church of Corinth, and he says... I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler. Not even to eat with such a one because to eat with someone is almost a sign that you agree with them, that you're agreeing with their worldview and lifestyle. Let's have the next uh, passage. In 2 Corinthians 3.14, Paul again says, If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him, that he may be ashamed. Wow. So the Bible is actually very strong against people who will drag down your faith. 
why is the Bible, I guess, so mean? Why does the Bible seem so extreme in cutting off people who are bad influence? Well, it's the principle of 1 Corinthians 15, 33, which says, bad company ruins good morals. If you're around bad company and you think you're a good person or you have good morals, over time, it will be corrupted. Now, I'm not saying to avoid non-Christians altogether. Remember, the Great Commission, we have to evangelize and love non-Christians. They should still be on our hearts when we pray for them. But in the sense of allowing people into our inner circle, we must be very, very selective. Because when Jesus was on earth, he did dine and talk and converse with uh, prostitutes, tax collectors, sinners, and criminals. But remember, he had an inner circle, Peter, James, and John. So Jesus, he loved sinners in his life, but he surrounded himself with his disciples, Peter, James, and John, and the rest of his followers. So if you're around bad people, you'll eventually do bad things. If you're around good people, you'll be more likely to do things that are good. If you're around Christian people who actually care about their faith, most likely that will rub off on you, that you'll begin to care about um, the Christian faith. If you sit with someone who's taking notes during a sermon, you might think to yourself, maybe I should do that too. I want to learn something. It seems like this person's growing. I want to do that too. But if you're sitting with someone who just goofs off, they just you know, elbow each other, they talk during the sermon, they don't want to do anything, it's most likely that that will be you too, that you'll be sucked into that behavior. So the principle of bad company corrupts good behavior, it's active actually in this very moment right now as I look out at all of you. I can see the ones who are distracted, and I can see the ones who actually want to learn. Isn't that great? Real-life object lesson. And so bad company corrupts good morals. Good company builds up good morals. We must avoid the people who will drag us down in our faith. At this point, you might be thinking to yourselves, but Kevin, my friends are everything to me. If I leave my friends... Who will I hang out with? I'll have nothing. But I want us to think about a greater consequence. Paul actually makes a more disturbing statement about how our friends impact us. He says that the greatest consequence, it's not just that teachers and friends are corrupt in their hearts, but that it has a greater consequence, that their souls, your soul, is in danger. The greatest consequence for a person who loves themselves Rather than God, it's not just bad character. It is a damned soul and a disqualified faith. That should scare us. The friends we surround ourselves with will impact the quality of our faith. Many of you guys really care about doing well in school. If you want to finish high school with a 4.0 GPA, who are the friends you will ask to study with you? Is it people who actually want to do well in school or will it be, um, for lack of better words, the dumb people like me when I was in high school? You would not ask me to study with you because I would not um, help you study better. You would ask friends who were on the same wavelength that you would want to finish school well with a 4.0 GPA. You understand this concept. If you want to finish the Christian life well, you must surround yourself with people who want to do the same. You must not surround yourself with people who intend to drag you down. We're going to see this in the next passage um, as Paul describes it. So let's go to the next point. Or Actually, I don't have this, um, but actually look at your Bibles. Um, I intentionally did not put this in um, the PowerPoint because I wanted to see this for ourselves. 
uh, verses 6 to 9. So look at this with me real quick in either your bulletin or your Bible. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins, and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Yannis um, and Ambres oppose Moses, so these men also oppose the truth. Men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly or their foolishness will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. So I want us to see, look at verses 7. It says that these false teachers, they will always learn and appear to be spiritual, but they never arrive at a knowledge of the truth. The word truth in the original language actually means gospel. So they will never arrive at the gospel. But then actually Paul takes a step further in verse 8. Look at verse 8, that they don't just never arrive at the truth, but verse 8 says that they also oppose the truth. They not only fail to understand the gospel, they oppose it. And it references two people. I don't even know if I'm pronouncing it right. Giannis and Yambres. Um, that's probably a Spanish translation or pronunciation. But these two people, um, read my commentary, they assume that it's the two magicians um, in the Old Testament when Moses says to Pharaoh, let my people go. And Moses turns a staff into a serpent. And uh, Pharaoh brings out two magicians to do the same, to turn their staff into a serpent. So um, Paul's saying these are those people, those magicians. And so just as they oppose Moses, there will be people in this life that will oppose God. Having bad friends is a danger to your soul. So I actually want to show a really quick example of why this matters. Let's have the next slide. Any of you guys watch a NASCAR racing? Oh, really? Oh, that's cool, Clovis. I didn't know you did. And Max. Wow. I mean, I watch cars, but that's very different from a NASCAR. Um, I think at first glance, we might think it's an individual sport. But it's actually a team sport more than you think. Uh, NASCAR, the success of a driver is very dependent on the excellence of the pit crew. I was reading on this last night because I knew nothing about it. And an article was saying that car races are won and lost in the pit lane. So the pit lane is where the cars pull off, and the pit crew comes in, they tweak the car, they change the tire, they carry the tires, refill gas. They even have a, meteorolo- a meteorologist that they check the weather of that day to see how it will affect, I guess, the wind and everything. And they say that the smallest fraction of a second can make a difference in whether a driver wins or loses a race. You know they actually recruit former college athletes to be pit crew members because they don't just need people who know about cars. They need people who can move really fast and change everything. So they're saying, we'd rather have college athletes and train them in mechanics versus getting mechanics and train them in athletics because some of them can be old. At least my mechanic is old. They can't really you know, move that fast. And so that's how serious and important a pit crew is. A driver's success is dependent on his pit crew. And in the same way, a Christian's success in this life is dependent on the friends he surrounds himself with. So who is the the pit crew in your Christian life? Who are the six or seven people that you surround yourself with that make the most impact on you? Let's imagine you are a driver in this NASCAR race. Would you invite someone to be in the pit crew who didn't really care whether or not you won or lost? Would you invite someone to be on your pit crew who didn't really know much about cars? Would you, care, would you invite someone who just wasn't in 
uh, the ready mind, they stayed up really late. They, they're not in the best mind uh, just physically. You wouldn't. So in the Christian life, why is it that we invite people to be so close to us, but they don't really care if you live well as a Christian. They don't really care if you honor God. They just want to have fun, invite you to hang out with them and you know, chase the pleasures of this world. The friends we surround ourselves with are extremely important. Just as it is in a NASCAR race, so it is even more in the Christian race. So maybe right now you're thinking, okay, I actually do have some friends who are not the best influence. And I'm pretty convinced that God wants me to separate or at least distance myself from them. But where do I even start? What do I even do? What do I even say? How do I even begin that process? Well, I want to spend the rest of this time, and it's not much, to just give some practical suggestions on what to do. So the first um, thing I want us to think about is to pray. Like all things in the Christian life, it's not reliant on willpower. It's reliant on God power. So we must pray and talk to God about your friendships. So I want us to think about these things. Let's have the next point. Ask for discernment and ask yourself this question. Does my friendship with this person lead me to love Jesus and obey his commands? Or the second question, does, be, does this, my friendship with this person lead me to forsake Jesus and disobey his commands? So think about the friends in your inner circle. What do they lead you to do? Do they lead you to love Jesus or to not really care about Jesus? The second thing and the second point is to pray that God would provide genuine friends in your life, genuine Christian friends in your life who have the same goal, have the same Lord and Savior, and want to honor and love God with their life. Third, pray that God, or fourth, pray that God would give you the courage and the will to actually walk away from friends who are danger to your faith. This is probably the most difficult action in this whole process, but it is necessary if we want to honor God. Um, let's go to the next slide. The second thing, it's very simple. Um, after praying, distance yourself from friends, people, and places that are a danger to your faith. In other words, you just got to do it. Pray for strength, and you just have to do it. There's not really a magical formula. You pray for strength, and you go out in faith. And for some friendships, it has to be a complete cutoff. And if this is a friend that you're normally close with, you should really communicate with them um, this concept. But for some other friends, if we have the next point, it might be more of a reshuffling of friendship priorities. Maybe they might not be in your pit crew, but you can still like, interact with them like, every once in a while. Like, grab lunch or grab a meal and you know, still have them a part of your life, but just not to the same degree as your inner circle. So some friends might just have to be reshuffled. Some friends just might have to be completely cut off because they are dragging you down to forsake God versus loving him. And I think the last thing I noted is to remember to communicate graciously and clearly. That these are still your friends. You should still care about the friends you have to cut off, but they're not friends to put in your inner circle, in your pit crew. Now they are friends to evangelize to. They are friends to reach out to. They are friends to pray for. Not necessarily friends to include in your inner circle because that must be reserved for people who are also having the same goal to honor God with their life. Uh, the third thing I want us to consider in the next point is that genuine Christian friendships, they're not found randomly. They're built. They do not happen randomly, just casually. If you want a genuine Christian friend, it requires effort to show up to church, to show up to small groups, show up to Friday nights, show up to Sundays, and to say, I want to be here. 
and actually let your actions speak louder than words. It will take patience. When I first came to this church, it took years before I could actually feel comfortable in a certain small group. But you have to keep at it. You can't just say, well, no one really reached out to me. I'm probably just going to stay home. Like, I don't know if it's uh, really the most welcoming place. We're trying to work on that here at FCBC. But you have to do your part, too, and show up and be consistent. And we'll do our part to welcome you and to include you. If it's at school, if I could go back in high school, I would try to join a Christian club. In high school, um, I had no idea who the Christians were except for the Christians who went to my church and my school. But if I could go back in high school, I'd go to my uh, Christian club. Because I'd be asking, well, where are the other Christians on campus? Well, they're probably at the Christian club. Um, I would probably talk to my friends who went to my church and my school and say, where do you hang out? Um, Can I hang out with you? That could be a really awkward thing to ask. But, hey, somebody's got to ask that. Remember what Eugene, our former youth pastor, said, a lone ranger Christian is a dead Christian. So, what did I do in high school? What did I eventually end up doing with my friends who I knew that were a bad influence? Well, it was my sophomore year. I knew that over time, uh, my friends, their idea of fun became to be more and more riskier. It wasn't just you know, walking into houses and trespassing, but it began to devolve into parties and alcohol and weed. That's what they would do on the weekends. And so, of course, during the middle of the week, during lunch, That's all they ever talk about. That's what they look forward to in the weekend. And I soon began to feel just really left out. It's like, well, I mean, I was there at the party. I don't think I really want to be. And that that conviction began to build up day after day. Just that conviction of, I shouldn't be here. I shouldn't be in this friend group. And I don't remember if I was praying a whole lot or not, but just one day when the bell rang after fourth period and I was going to lunch, instead of walking to the place or my friends normally hung out, I just turned left and walked to the library. I'm like, I'd rather do anything else versus being around them. It's like, what do I do at the library? Um, I don't know. There's books. <laughs> I, I guess I could read, or I guess I could finish homework. That's a lot more uh, productive. Maybe I, I'll read some sports articles on the computers in the library. Um, and I did that for the first time on that, I don't know what day it was. And then I did it again the next day. And I did it again the next day. And there'll be days where it's like, well, I don't want to go to the library. And so I began to feel really alone. So I would just stand in the lunch line at lunch because it would take a long time. Because I'd rather be in a lunch line to make it look like I was waiting for something versus sitting by myself at lunch. There'd be times where I would try to talk to different friends from other classes, but I knew they weren't really my people. I would just try to strike up conversations. Um, I was glad for senior year because I could actually leave leave campus senior year. I go to the subway. (laughs) eat a sandwich, take a nap in my car before a volleyball practice. And that's how the rest of my high school was, friendships-wise. I just began to feel very alone. The friends that I had, I walked away from. And it was the most difficult decision ever. And what I didn't do, which I hope you'll do if you're um, cutting off a friend group, is that I would communicate with them. Um, And I was actually thinking last night, what would I actually say? Like, this is such a difficult thing to actually walk away from a friend. I don't even know how I do this nowadays, but I tried my best. So this is what I wrote. This is what I might say. Um, Hey, guys. um, I'm not going to say their names. I don't want you guys looking them up. I really love you guys. It's crazy that we've been together since kindergarten, but I just feel like things are changing. I love you guys. 
but I don't feel comfortable with the things you are doing. I don't want to drink or smoke weed, and I find your other friends really annoying, um, and I don't want to be around them. I want my life, my body, my actions, my weekends, and my free time, and my friendships to be used to honor God. Jesus died for my sins, so now I want to live for Him. I don't want to go back to living in sin and darkness. So, going forward, I won't be around as much during lunch in this area anymore, but I still love you guys. I'm more than happy to hang out every once in a while, so long as we're not doing anything illegal or anything that compromises my faith. I hope you understand. I'm more than happy to explain more if you're open to having the conversation. I mean, it sounds very formal, but I guess I can be a formal guy when I write emails. Um, But I wish I said something like that. I never did. I just, I was there one day, and for the rest of high school, I just wasn't there. I still said hi to them in person, but I just said an excuse like, oh, like, I'm really busy, like, I I got a lot of homework to do, and so I would shy away from the difficult conversations. And you know what's funny? I think God really has a sense of humor. Um, As much as I really didn't keep in touch with them, they actually kept in touch with me throughout the years. Like, in seminary, they would text me, like, hey, Kevin, you want to hang out? Like, we're just down the street. And I'm like, why do they still want to hang out with me? Aren't they mad at me? Even last year, my friend invited me to his July 4th uh, party, and uh, Vanessa and I actually went. They're like, you know what? I kind of want to know what they're up to. And I went, and their love for me was just so, it was still there, if not more. And I was, I was humbled. I'm like, man, like, you guys aren't even believers, but you still show so much love to me. And I hope that I can still maintain that friendship and still, hopefully one day, share about why I left and share about why um, Jesus to me is the most important thing ever. And I think there's something about these friendships, just because you cut them off, it doesn't mean you hate them. It doesn't mean you abandon them. But it still means that you should pray for them, love them, and see them as people to reach out to. And so I hope that's something you can consider as you go back into school uh, this week. Uh, here's my big idea today, and if you go to the next slide. To remain faithful In these last days, you must surround yourself with the godly and distance yourself from the godless. There's only two scenarios when we die at the end of our life. The first one, when you die and you open your eyes, don't you want to know that you finished the Christian race, that you earned the crown of righteousness, and you heard the words of Jesus say, well done, good and faithful servants. That's one scenario. The other scenario is when you die and you wake up, you realize that you have been disqualified from the Christian race. The doors of heaven are shut against you, and you hear the words, the haunting words, I never knew you. Depart from me. Those are the only two scenarios when we die. And if you want to run the Christian life well, to make it, you must surround yourself with people who have the same goal to honor Christ with their life. I hope at the end of this life that I'll see all of you here at the heavenly gates when the party is just ready to begin for the rest of our days. And every pain, every broken relationship in this short earth will just be a distant memory. So may the grace of God give us strength to surround yourself with the godly people in your life. Let me pray for us. Lord, I... I understand, Lord, that uh, cutting off from friends who are bad influence, it's the most difficult thing in our life it can be, relationally. Lord, you know 
what I went through in high school, but you, you also provided people at the church that when I felt alone at school, I always knew I had people at church who loved me. And Lord, I pray for these students that as they're trying to balance fitting in with the world versus honoring you, Lord, I pray that there should only be one priority, loving you, honoring you, even if it means we have to distance ourselves from the godless, from those who do not care about you. God, I pray that these students would love the non-Christian friends in their life to evangelize to them, but to know that they might not, it might not be good for them to be in their inner circle. I pray, Lord, that every person here would have at least one or two genuine, solid Christian friends in their life who would, who would care for them like no one else. So, Lord, will you provide genuine Christian friends to every person here?